Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I have a question to begin this morning for you. Have you ever been helped by someone in a way that was not only not very helpful, but even left you feeling rejected and looked down on. Why is it that the help that good people want to offer a lot of times isn't very good, nor is it very helpful? That's kind of the relational dynamic that we're going to see Jesus get into in our topic this morning. So we've been studying everything that Jesus has to say and didn't have to say about relationships in the book of Matthew. And we've been spending the last number of weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew. And Jesus has been showing us that if you're following him, he is making you into the kind of person who naturally seeks the good of others, even your enemies. That's agape love that we were looking at last week. But the question we turn to today is, if that's the kind of person you're becoming, well, how do you help others on that journey? How do you help others to become that kind of person as well? And so the title today is Help and Harm. What we're going to see is that many of our attempts to love often produce more harm than good. And actually, the only kind of love that actually helps people become who they're intended to be in Christ is a love that's mediated through Christ. Okay, so with that in mind, we're going to read our passage for for today. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. You can open your Bibles there, and it'll also be on the screen. Jesus says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So these are very well-known words. These are words that a lot of people will quote to Christians. Don't judge. And it's a correct way to quote it, but... What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is speaking, I think, to our desire to help, our desire to help improve our brothers and sisters. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? Surely that's something that good, loving people should naturally want to do. And it is. So our first point here is that love does naturally desire to help other people towards their good. That's an aspect of love. So we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. You have to remember, none of this will make sense if you forget that it is a sermon. 
that there's a flow to it. There's a structure to it. And so we read what he's saying here in chapter seven as building on everything that he said in chapters five and six. So five was all about relational dynamics in the kingdom. Chapter six, he gets to talking about our relationship with God, but then he turns back to human relationships in chapter seven. And it's building on this picture of the kind of person that he's making his disciples to be, which is people of agape love, right? And so he's saying, if you're focused on other people's good, if you're becoming this kind of person, you will naturally want the same for other people. If you're focused on loving them, you naturally want them to discover that same kind of agape love. You want them to live in the kind of love that they're intended for as well. And if you think about it, to do anything less than that, you'd have to question whether you actually love the person. So this is what we truly want for anyone that we love, right? And the most obvious example I can think of is parenthood. So every loving parent, we've got a ton of babies coming up in the congregation, especially in Mukunji, right in this season. And every parent, every loving parent, when they look at their child, when they look at their baby, you know, they say, I want the best for them. I want them to be happy. I want them to be fulfilled and good. I want them even to, to be better than, than me. I want them to surpass me. And so there's this desire for them to become people of good character. And I think when you read a parent's job description, that's right there just below, keep them alive. (laughs) It's it's keep them alive, and then shortly after that, it's help them become a good person. Yeah? And if you follow Jesus, of course— You'd say it's helping them not only become a generally good person, but become like him. A desire, you'll have a desire for your child to know him, to walk with him, because Jesus says to know him is eternal life. And so these are the things that parents feel and they desire towards their kids, especially when they're peaceful and asleep. (laughs) These are the kind of thoughts you have, you know. Now, That's a really important analogy, I think, because one of the things we have to keep in mind as we're reading scripture and we're trying to get to, we're trying to understand God's revelation is we have to remember God is revealed as a father. And so if that's true of the best of human parenting, by analogy, we know that's true of our heavenly father. We can understand because the Bible calls him father, when God calls himself father, we can understand that he desires the same things for us as we do for our own children. And so obviously I'm talking about the best in our parenting. He's a good father. He's a perfect father. But if you think about that, it means God's desire for you is not only to keep you alive. It's not only to have the things that you need. It's not only that you have a good job, that you have fulfillment in your career. It's that you become a person of character. And even more specifically, a person of his character. And so when we love people with the love of God, we naturally find ourselves desiring the same things for them. We want them to become people of good and godly 
character. And so the question here is, how do you help a person do that? How do you help a person grow in godly character? As we've gone into spring here, I've, I've felt a shift in my mind. Is anyone doing any improvement projects in their house right now? It's kind of a natural seat. Yeah, there's quite a few hands. Anyone doing any improvement projects on their spouse? Right now. It's, it's a good time of year all year round to do that. You know, you're, you're helping them make a few upgrades. Why, do you eat, why don't you eat this kale, honey? Do you need that extra slice of pizza? I noticed you're paying for your gym membership. Are you using it? <laughs> why don't you go get a haircut? Right? So <laughs> this, this, is, this is spouse improvement. All right, and you know, you don't, I'm joking about marriage because it's, it's an easy target, but you don't have to be married to have this kind of desire towards someone. You probably have a person in your mind as we speak about this, a person that you say, yeah, I'm working on them. I'm working on them. It could be your child. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor or coworker where there's something about their character, or if they, if they don't know Christ, it's, you're, you're working on them that they would know Jesus. You're trying to love them in that way, and the question is, how can we help them improve? All right, well, Jesus here, he's hinting at another relational dynamic. He's been, he's been analyzing all the things that break down our relationships, and here he touches on another one. And this time, he starts off with our worst kind of outright sins, Anger, murder, contempt, lust, manipulation, selfishness. All right, he, he starts with our worst sins. Then he gets to your things that are, that are okay. Your, your, your rights, your, your own needs and desires. And he says, no, give those up for other people. And then he goes beyond that here. And he talks about even in the ways that we try to love people, we can disrupt our relationships. And here's what he's pointing at. Here's the next point. Love cannot be forced without loss of personhood. Love cannot be forced without loss of personhood. And I remember the moment, I remember the exact place where I was on my nightly dog walk when the Lord spoke to me about something. It was, it was, it was soon after our daughter Nia was born. And it hit me that even though I was a new dad. Even though I loved her with every part of me, I never experienced that form of love. I realized in that moment, even though I loved her like that, I could never really have her. I could never really, even though she was my daughter and I would give her anything, she could never really belong to me because she's a person. And in order to be a person, she would need to be ultimately free, released into God's hands. I could not, no matter how hard I tried, I could not ensure the outcomes of her life. The best I could do was to teach her, to discipline her in the way that she should go, but the outcome of her life was ultimately not in my hands. I don't know if the parents in the room 
have experienced that, it's a scary feeling. It was for me anyway. It was, it was scary. That my love for her would eventually require me to let her go, release her. And it's terrifying because you think, well, what if they mess up? What if they make bad decisions? What if bad things happen to them? And that is the risk of parenthood. If God's our father, don't you think he's felt the same? Because of his love for us, he treats us like persons. He dignifies us with personhood, with the freedom required to actually become beings of character, of goodness, of love. And without that, we could exist, but we couldn't actually be good. We could not actually love. And so we wouldn't actually be able to have the potential of experiencing the meaning of life, which is the love of God and to love like God. And so if love is forced, what happens is it damages the personhood of the person you're loving. Freedom is required for personhood. And so God, our perfect father, releases us into a world of risk in order that we can develop as genuine persons. So a lot of the parents were nodding in in terms of that feeling, but there's another feeling that sometimes crosses your head as a parent, which is, or anyone, towards anyone that you love and that you really want the best outcomes in their life, there's another thought that runs through your mind, which is this, it's too risky. I have to protect them at any cost. I must make sure that they turn out well. And so, how do we typically go about that? And this is what I'm going to call the the immediate method, or you could call it the direct method, I guess, but the immediate method. This is the attempt to shape the other person directly. And there's really two tools in this toolbox, a plank and a pearl, Okay, these are the things that Jesus talks about, although he used log in the translation that, that we use, but there's, I think in the King James it says a plank. There's a, in this toolbox, in the direct method of shaping another person, the immediate method, there's two tools in this toolbox, a plank and a pearl. And this is what it means, all right? Let me state the point. I'll tell you what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to say it. Immediate love helps through condemning or commending. Immediate love helps through condemning or commending. Now, what do I mean? Our most immediate direct tools for shaping or improving people, they either tend to be condemning them with their terrible things or commending to them forcibly our wonderful things. Either we relentlessly remind them of all their flaws and their weaknesses and their, and their, their errors or we try and stuff undigestible, beautiful, good things down their throat so that they will learn. (laughs) 
And what Jesus is saying is, no matter what your intentions are, no matter how much you love this person, when you attempt that direct method, whether by the plank or the pearl, you end up actually controlling them. And you end up harming and not helping. All right, so the plank. This is relentlessly condemning the bad in another person. And again, you can... You can talking about God as father and his heart towards us as his kids, well, you can relate this back to parenting as well because there's a method of parenting that says the, the, the thing that the child ultimately needs is that they, they need to be constantly aware of their faults and their failures and the ways that they're falling short. It's my role as a parent to point those things out so that they can learn. And so I'm constantly confronting them with the ways that they're making mistakes. No matter how small it must be condemned, if they're going to learn right from wrong and grow into the person that they're meant to be. On the other hand, you have, that's, that's the plank. Then you have the pearl, right? This is, this is kind of like the equal and opposite reaction to that method, which is, no, no, no. The way that the, the child is going to grow into the best thing that they're meant to be is, is if they only ever have the good things, the beautiful things. So they, I need to relentlessly make sure that they are self-affirming and they have self-esteem and I need to relentlessly push them into violin and piano and, and you know, opera lessons and dance lessons. I need to make sure that they are filled with all the best cultural things that the world can offer and my goodness, they're going to learn to love these pearls if it kills them. It's relentless improvement through the wonderful things that they should appreciate. And so you've got the plank of condemnation and the pearl of commendation. And both are really just different ways of being judgmental. One of them crushes a person with inferiority, with, with their faults, and the other one makes them look down upon for things that they, they can't handle, they can't understand. And so these, Jesus is saying these are, these are both routine tools that we use to try and lovingly improve people that we care about. We either dump condemnation on them when we feel it's our duty to point out their faults. We help them understand the things that they're missing about themselves so that they can get better. Or we dump our wisdom on people. Even if it's uninvited. Even if they're actually not anywhere near a place where they can receive those things or understand them. But whether you're (laughs) dumping condemnation or dumping wisdom, you're still dumping on people. Right? And so this is is the image of pearls and pigs that Jesus uses. He's, He's not... He's not calling people pigs. That's not the point. That's a misreading. He's pointing out that if you try and feed pigs with pearls, it's really dumb because pearls aren't food to them. They're not able to appreciate them. They're not able to receive them. It's not appropriate food. All right, so both of these tools, they end up controlling people because what happens is you're being insensitive to the person as a person. What you're actually doing is you're turning the person into a problem to be fixed rather than a person to be loved. And so Jesus says, how does that typically make people feel when you, when you use these loving kind of methods on them? How does it typically make them feel? Well, they tend to lash out 
they tend to kind of put the guards up and we say, why are you being so ungrateful? I'm just trying to love you. But the reason is because the way that we're doing it just makes them feel judged, just makes them feel looked down on. All right, so here's the thing. We're talking about God as father and us as his kids. We have to remember when it comes to the people we love, and yes, we are called to love people and we're help, to help them towards their good in God, but God is their dad, not us. God's their father, not us. And, and you know, any of you with older siblings, you know, sometimes the older sibling feels like it's their duty. They got to step in and they put on the, the parent hat and they start bossing their siblings around. And it, it, <laughs> did you appreciate that as the younger sibling? Probably not, I would say. That's basically what's going on here. Our brothers and sisters, you know, when we're doing this towards other people, we're putting on the, the parent hat. And, Jesus, and, you know, Jesus is saying, that's not the hat you're, you're meant to wear. You say, well, Ian, aren't we meant to help people? Aren't we help, you know, meant to show them the truth and help them with their flaws? And certainly, we are. But actually, it's never done directly person to person, soul to soul. And we're going to see that now. The immediate method ends up harming a person rather than helping them because it ignores a very important fact. And it's this. Christ mediates all our relationships. Christ mediates all our relationships. Now, let me explain what this means, okay? It means there's a mystery to another person, to the soul of another person, that God does not allow us to go beyond. If you think of the people you know best, your best friends, your family, if you're, if you're married, think of your spouse, in, in many ways, you realize that person there's still an element of mystery about them that you can, you can actually never get beyond. And I thought of a very trite example, which is we were having a, a men's ministry the other day, a men's ministry meeting the other day, and some of the men started talking about, oh, I, I need, to, need to get my tires rotated. And I thought, isn't that what tires are doing all the time? rotating. <laughs> it's like, not their job. And, you know, and that right there tells you why whenever there's something going on with my car, <laughs> I don't take it upon myself to lift up the hood and fix it because there's an element of mystery within there <laughs> that I have not yet penetrated. And so what do I do? I take it to a mechanic who gets it fixed? The mechanic is my mediator between me and the mystery of the engine. I don't know how to fix it. I take it to a mediator who knows the inner workings who can fix it. And so what Jesus is saying is, <laughs> you and I cannot enter into a person's soul and tinker around without causing irreparable damage. You may think you know how it all works, but Jesus is saying, no, you're not qualified for that. 
We don't have access to that. The, the soul of another person is a mystery that you are not designed to plumb the depths of, to fathom. The only way to another person is through Jesus. Why? Because he mediates everything. He actually is the creator, the sustainer. All things were made through him. And so he stands between us, not only between us and God, but between us and everything else and everyone else. Of course, our old friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best. (laughs) In Life Together, he said, There is no way from one person to another. However loving and sympathetic we try to be, however sound our psychology, however frank and open our behavior, we cannot penetrate the incognito of another man or person. Christ stands between us, and we can only get into touch with our neighbors through him. And in the, that was in the book Life Together. And in the book Discipleship, he's, he has a complimentary passage. He says, actually, I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. As only Christ can speak to me in such a way that I may be saved, so others too can only be saved by Christ himself. That means I must release the other person from every attempt of mine to regulate, coerce, and dominate him with my love. The most direct way to others is always through prayer to Christ. And the love of others is wholly dependent upon the truth in Christ. This is profound stuff. But what he's saying is, if we really want to help people, it must be and can only actually be through the great doctor of our souls, the great mechanic of our hearts. So how do we do that? Well, here's what Jesus reveals to us in this passage. The next point, we we talked about immediate love. Well, this is love mediated through Christ, our mediator. Christ-mediated love allows a clear view of the person. This is the, the speck and the plank. And of course, I don't know if you knew Jesus was telling a joke here, but this is, this is a, it's an absurd picture, right? A person walking around with a, a, a plank of wood hanging out of their eye, having the audacity to tell other people what to do. You're pointing out an eyelash in the other person when you've got this like, you know, beam coming out of your own eye. And the point is, you're not seeing the other person because you're not even able to see yourself. And so it's only as we recognize our own faults first that we can see a person before us in need of love rather than a problem before us in need of fixing. A person is not a problem. As soon as we reduce them to a problem, they cease to be a person. We've depersonalized them, and that tears apart relationships even when we're trying to love someone. He says, when we do that, when we can recognize our own faults first, we see them as a precious image of God for whom Jesus died, just like he died for me. And so the gospel gives us freedom to be humble and to recognize our own faults. Because if I don't need to be the Savior, if I can't be the Savior, in fact, because only Jesus can be, it lets that person be 
a person. It lets me admit, I actually don't have what this person needs. Only Jesus does. Only he can save them, not me. And so my job is not to fix them. It's to do everything I can in my power to bring them to him. This is a description of pastoral ministry too, by the way. Interesting, as we ordain a person into pastoral ministry today with the care deaconate. But when we don't do that, when we're not in the freedom of the gospel in that way, what happens is we end up using the plank or the pearl. We either condemn or we, we commend, and either way, we're, we're, we're trying to directly shape them and we're tinkering, tinkering around with something that we don't actually understand. And what this tells us is we, this is great advice, you can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody. Of course, the Spirit wants to use you. We can walk in step with him. We can hear him. We can, we can be his mouthpiece. We can, but we cannot be the Holy Spirit. And you know what's interesting? When we're using the plank, we're trying to condemn of sin, right? And when we're using the pearl, we're trying to forcibly open people's eyes to see the, the beautiful things that they should appreciate. Well, you know, two of the roles of the Holy Spirit, he convicts of sin and he reveals the beauty of Jesus. But he does it accurately. He does it faithfully. He does it lovingly. He is the doctor of our souls, the mechanic of our hearts. And so our job is to entrust people to him. Your role is to bring them to the mechanic and bring them to the doctor who actually can fix them. And so here's the thing. The last point here is that when you're no longer the fixer, Christ-mediated love teaches us when to lead and what to feed. When our love is mediated through Christ, it teaches us when to lead and what to feed. The when and the what and the how. Now, we're talking about this and I realize that some of us you may have a particular person in mind as we're talking about this. Some of our, we have, there's people here who, who have spouses who don't know the Lord. Maybe you have friends or dear family members that you long to come to the Lord, to, to experience the, lung of the, the love of the kingdom. Do you desire that for someone? Our love should drive us to desire that for those that we love. But Jesus is saying here, it's, Don't allow that love and that desire and that longing to to make you take things into your own hands and shape them and make sure it happens at any cost. He says, it's important to offer the right help at the right time, the right help at the right moment. And even though being judgmental doesn't help people, Jesus says, neither does lacking in discernment. Our other good friend in this series, Dallas Willard, he said this, When Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the good news, he said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus, he's he's taking, I love how this is illustrated in The Chosen, by the way. It's, you know, brings it to life in in a really interesting way. And he's sending them out to share the same love 
that he's been sharing, right? So he's extending his mission of loving people into the kingdom through them. And, and what is the method that he gives them? He says, be wise as serpents, be innocent as doves. He's talking about discernment and our motives. So the wisdom of the serpent, what is that? The wisdom of the serpent, it's to know the when. It's, it's to know when to strike. Serpents wait patiently until the opportunity arises. They're not out there kind of like making things happen. They are, you know, they're very discerning in the, the opportunity to strike. In the same way, when we love people in Christ, we're, we're one of the things when, when the weight is on you, it produces a lot of anxiety to, oh, I got to make sure it happens. I got to do it now. I got to do it now because I might run out of time. And Jesus is saying, now, when you're loving them through me, you can re- be released from that anxiety and I will give you the wisdom of, of knowing when the right moment is, when the right time is. We're able to discern the appropriate times and words because they're in God's hands and not ours. And that's how we learn to trust the Holy Spirit. And secondly, so what's the innocence of doves? The innocence of doves is that doves, doves aren't thinking about much. If you've ever watched, you know, you do know a dove is, is a pigeon. It's the same thing. Same bird. <laughs> Any ornithologists going to correct me now? Yeah. Yeah, one, one, one is wild, one's domesticated in terms of my understanding. Anyway, either way, there's not a lot going on up there, is there? <laughs> Why are they an example? Because they're innocent. They're, they're not out there with ulterior motives. They're just out looking for crumbs, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's the... The other example Jesus uses is, is, is the children. It's, it's, it's a lack of ulterior motives. It's a, it's a lack of scheming. And so it frees you actually to just be a friend. I, I have a, a good friend in Harrisburg who's just a fantastic evangelist, you know, reaching all sorts of people who would never step foot into a church and ask him like, dude, what's your secret? What do you do? And he's like, it's really not hard. I make friends and, and I, give, I give a rip about them. That's not the word he used, but it was, it was a PC word. It's okay, like, or a PG word. But in other words, make friends and actually care about them. It's not, it's not like this crazy, you know, you don't have to get a, a PhD in evangelism to understand this stuff. Jesus is saying, be an actual friend. Stop treating people as projects. Treat them as friends. And so, I mean, this is why, I don't know if a lot of people have kind of a, maybe you've experienced some forms of evangelism that that feel a little bit like a a bait and switch, you know? And it kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth for a lot of people. And my encouragement would be, be, let's lead people to to Christ, not mislead people to Christ. (laughs) Let's lead people to Christ, not mislead people to Christ. And that comes, I think, by offering a genuine, innocent kind of agape love with no ulterior motive. Whether, they, whether you come to Jesus or not, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be your friend. 
And most of the time when we love people like that, when they get the sense that they're not just a project, but they're actually someone that you care about, I can't guarantee it, but almost always you find there's a moment where an opportunity to share the love of Jesus comes about. An opportunity to share this good news comes about. And at that moment, we know what to feed a hungry soul. And it's not us. It's not me and my testimony. It's not church attendance. It's not a a, a program for how to be happy and successful. It's not, you know, any of these kind of methods or an emotional experience, a new way of thinking. It's Jesus who is the bread of heaven. And just like doves, we're out there calling the other doves to where the breadcrumbs are. (laughs) And so some of us right now, you have a person on your heart that you just long to see them come into the kingdom, to come to faith. And maybe as you've been seeking to love them in that way, there's there's ways that you've tried that maybe have blown up in your face and you've given up. And I want to say, don't give up. And trust it to Jesus. Learn how to love them through him. Part of that is letting the person go, reaching them directly. The most direct method is through Jesus. So, you know, Bonhoeffer said that it's talking to Jesus more about your brother than talking to your brother about Jesus. Talk more to Jesus about that person than you do to that person about Jesus because that is the most direct way to their heart. You cannot access their heart. The Holy Spirit can and does. And so we can let go of trying to change them ourselves. We can ask the Lord to purify our motives like the dove, to give us wisdom like the serpent, to know when and how best to love them. And so if that's, that's you, as, you know, as, we, as we close and, and pray, just hold that person in your mind and ask the Lord those things. Jesus, I want to release them and give them to you. They're, the outcomes of their life are not on me, but Lord, I love them so much and I want to see them come to you. Jesus, help me to love them through you. They, they are under your care, ultimately, Father, and not mine. Bring them to him. And so there's one other group here that I want to address, which is that others of us, there may be some of us here listening today that have experienced immense harm from people who ostensibly were trying to help us. And maybe their motives were actually loving, but they tinkered with our souls and they left us damaged. And maybe it's left you with no trust for the church or no trust for Christians. And if that's you, what I want to tell you is there is a doctor who knows how to heal your heart. There is a great mechanic who knows the dynamics and the inner workings of your soul and knows how to put you back together. And he will never break your heart. He didn't come to condemn you for your sin. He won't shove religion down your throat. And if you're burdened, he says, come to me. 
and take it off because my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Let me help you carry that. So my invitation to you right now, if that's you, is come to him. Come to him. You may feel right now, there was a moment in my life where I felt like I couldn't trust Christians. I didn't, I didn't even want to be a part of the church. And God had to show me. He asked me, Jesus asked me, he says, Ian, can you trust me? And so my question for you is if, if, if you're in that place, maybe you, you, your trust has been broken because you've been harmed by people who should have been helping you, is can you trust him? When you look at Jesus, can you see a person who genuinely loves you, for whom you're not just a project, but you're a precious person for whom he died? Come to him because his is the love that will never harm you and it will bring you towards your truest good. He is the food that your soul is searching for. So let's, let's end in prayer together as, we, as the musicians come back up. Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though we so often mess up with our ways of, of even not just our sin, but our, our trying to love people, Lord, I thank you that you're our good father. You are the physician of our souls. And Lord, for all those people that we love right now, as you bring them to mind, Lord, we want to release them to you. To say that to truly love them as people made in your image, we must give them to you. And not out of our own anxiety, or out of our own guilt, try and shape them or form them or manipulate them. Lord, they belong to you. And so we give up. We take our hands off of those, those <laughs> improvement projects. We give them to you, Lord. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would bring help and healing where there's been harm and damage. And for anyone who's listening right now who has been harmed, even by people that, that were trying to love or should have loved, Lord Jesus, would you enter into that place of hurt and pain and brokenness and would you begin to put things right? Lord, would you show them how to trust you and restore the relationships around them as they do that, Lord? So Lord, we pray this. We thank you for the freedom, the joy, the love that's in the message of the gospel for us. And for anyone that doesn't yet know you, Lord, I pray that right now, today, you would draw them to yourself and they would choose to dedicate themselves to you and follow you for the rest of their lives. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.